Um, here's what I want to do. The beginning of a new semester means the beginning of a new series at RUF. Every semester, we kind of take that time to go through something. Last fall, we went through a whole series in relationships like sex, dating, marriage, friendship. Uh, last spring, we did the Psalms. So we kind of looked through 13 Psalms in a row um, talking about that and how they impacted our lives, how they matter. This semester, we're going to go through a little book in the back of your Bible. It may sound familiar to you, may not. It's called Colossians. Colossians is a book, well, you can look at the front of your little handout, Fullness in Jesus. Colossians is a book written to people remarkably similar to you. Colossians is a book written to people who are tempted to think, Jesus is great, but he's not enough. You ever take supplements or vitamins? When you take supplements or vitamins, what does it imply about the food you're already eating? It's not good enough. Uh, and with our American diets, that's true. You should be taking supplements probably, but uh, it implies that what you're eating already is deficient. It doesn't do the job. Colossians is a book that very gently and in a very encouraging but challenging way, it comes to you and it says, we're people who are always on the hunt for the next supplement, which means deep down, whether you're a Christian, not a Christian, don't know what you are, we all share this in common tonight, me and you. We are people who don't think God is enough. So we're going to spend the semester looking at uh, how he is enough, how he is sufficient, how there is fullness in him. And we're going to be really honest looking at how our hearts, like we just sang, are prone to wander. They're, they're wayward. They're, they're all over the place. Colossians is very honest about that too. But I have a very small goal for tonight. I don't want to bite off more than we can chew. All I want to do tonight is uh, talk about the first five or six verses in Colossians to kind of get us warmed up for the semester, but also it's a really helpful passage to kind of tell you a little bit more about what RUF is and kind of talk to you about what we're about, what the big things we're about. And if you're a note taker, somebody likes organization, the three things that I'll talk about really quickly after we read the passages, uh, RUF's a place um, that's about the Bible. We'll talk about that. We're a place that's about the gospel. That's a word that doesn't make sense to you. We'll talk about that. And it's a, it's a place where we care a lot about community because that's where the gospel begins. That's where God's grace begins to gain traction in your life is in a room full of people or a tiny group full of people or you and one other person, but you and somebody. So we'll talk about those three things, the Bible, gospel, and community. Uh, something we do when we, we read the passage at RUF is just out of respect for God's word, we stand up. So why don't you stand up? I'll read the passage and we'll uh, share a few thoughts and, and, and sing again. This is in your bulletin if you want to follow along or your phone or wherever. This is how they used to say, uh, dear so-and-so back in the day. They kind of introduced themselves first. So, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, that's who's writing. Who are they writing to? To God's holy people in Colossae. It's a town in modern-day Turkey, tiny little town. The faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Paul's saying to them, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope that's stored up for you in heaven and about which you you guys have already heard it in the true message of the gospel that's come to you. In the same way, that gospel that you've heard, it is bearing fruit and growing throughout the world, the whole world, 
just as it has been doing amongst you um, since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. We'll stop there reverse early. Let's pray real quick. Father, we're glad to be together tonight. We believe and we want what we just sang to be true. Uh, it might be a fun night to come together with other people, get to know them, get to sing. But what if we came together and didn't get to see you, didn't get to hear from you, didn't get to meet you, didn't get to be with you? Father, we would leave in a similar place that we came into or worse. Father, tonight, meet with your people. Tonight, show yourself to those who know you, to those who don't know you. Come because you love to come. Come because you love to be with your people. Amen. All right, let's take a seat. So I don't know if you came across this this summer. It was going around Facebook uh, a lot, and it's pertinent to uh, you and the millennial generation. Um, The article was called, Stop Saying I Feel. That was the name of the article. This is an opinion piece in the New York Times. But the title was, Stop Saying I Feel Like. And this, she was probably some like angry old person, but she was like, Kind of ranting, but had some really good points. And her, here's what her main point was. She was tracing back the past like 70 or 80 years in America about how we talk to each other and in public and in class and that kind of thing. And she noticed this trend. She said about 80 or 90 years ago, this is probably your grandparents' generation, so think of grandma grandpa right now. She said the way they talked with each other, the way they started their sentences was, I believe, And that goes back way further. Like, you remember the Declaration of Independence or Bill of Rights? We believe these truths are self-evident. And our grandparents, they talk, they start their thoughts or their sentences with, I believe that. But their lives, uh, the way they saw the world was rooted in what they believed, what they were committed to. But then that changed. So once your parents' generation comes on the scene, this is 50 or 60 years ago now, in the 60s and in the 70s uh, here in America, that changed. People didn't start their sentences with the words, I believe, much anymore. They started their sentences with, I think. I think that it's going to be a great day. Or I think that this candidate's an idiot or that candidate's awesome. Like, they started with, I think. And what it meant was, unlike their parents, your grandparents, who said, the way I see the world is rooted in what I believe, our parents were starting to say, the way I see the world is in what I think about what I see. So there's a little bit of a shift. Now it's like kind of their opinion about the world they see that's decisive. What I think about reality is what matters, which is still okay. You can still have a conversation with someone who says, I think this and I think that. Okay, you disagree or you agree, you work through it. But here's what her article, here's where it came to a climax and thus the title. She starts picking on us. I have a creepy Newsflash for you. I'm 35, and I just found out the other day from one of you that I technically qualify as a millennial, so I say us. Um, You're like, oh gosh, this is weird. Uh, But we, she's picking on us. Uh, She says, we don't start our sentences with I believe or I think. Rehearse your conversations today. Play back the past few days in class. Maybe you've had a sharing time with people or where you're from, whatever. We start our sentences, our thoughts, the way we see the world with I feel like. But I just feel like, so even if you're having an intellectual conversation or a political conversation, people say, but I just feel like this or that. I do it. I read this article and was like cringing. I was like, oh gosh. And she's saying the problem with that is you can't really argue with someone who's rooting 
their entire view of the world in, in myself, in my gut, in my feelings, in my emotions. You can't really argue with that. Because if you question their feelings, you're questioning the person. You're questioning their experiences. And you can't say, well, no, you don't feel that way. It's like, well, I feel this way. It's an authoritative, this is the way it is because I feel it. If I feel it, it's true. If I feel this way about you, it's true. If I feel this way about me, it's true. Now, isn't there something a little bit attractive about the way we talk and the way we view the world like that? Like, maybe we're more... I, I, do any of you have parents who are, like, not emotional at all? Like, it, maybe it's a good thing that we're, like, emotional now. We actually talk about our feelings. We're actually, like, real people. Um, and it, there's something kind of cool and freeing about this moment we're at where you be you. You do you. Um, and uh, there's something free about that. It's something kind of, like, nice about not having to make commitments or not being tied down. Um, not having to, to make fun like that, to kind of do our own thing and cut our own path, keep our options open. But here's the problem. I think, I speak for myself and I think I speak for you. Isn't there something really exhausting about living life when all we have is a billion opinions and a billion sets of I feel likes with no clear way forward, with no authoritative or clear or real or accurate sense of what is real, what is true, what is a good way versus a bad way to live my life? What is God like? What is the world like? What am I like? Are we, consi- are we just kind of abandoned to being these little rowboats in the middle of a hurricane in the ocean? There's no anchor. You're not grabbed in or anchored into anything solid. There's no solid ground around. There's nothing to kind of bring your boat up onto and stop swaying all the time. There's no compass that, that faithfully points true north every time. Isn't there something exhausting about being in a boat on the ocean in a storm with no compass, no anchor, and no ground and just being left to I feel likes? The reason I bring all this stuff up and the you might wonder, what in the world does this have to do with what we just read? Or RUF? The connection is, is here. Paul says in a tiny way here, and in a big way that he's going to unpack in the coming weeks, in the coming chapters of this little tiny letter, he says here that the word of God is the anchor, the compass, and the solid ground of reality. He says it's the anchor, the compass, and the solid ground for our lives. Where's that in the passage? He says it in verse 1, and really, if you, if you weren't reading carefully, you probably missed it. He says, Paul, an apostle, which means a sent one, one who is sent. An apostle is kind of like an ambassador. Ambassadors have no authority on their own. It's not like they walk into any building in the world, and all of a sudden you're like bowing down and listening to what they say. But when they're on duty, they speak on behalf of the king. They speak on behalf of the president, and they have every single bit of authority that he has. Paul says, I'm, a, I'm an apostle. I'm one sent by the king, Jesus Christ. And just in case you missed it, he says, okay, hold up, by the will of God, not by my will. I didn't wake up one day and say, I want to go make up some cool stuff about this is the best way to live your life. Or I had some awesome thoughts life, last night. This is the way to truth. Paul's not speaking on his behalf. These aren't Paul's ideas. He's saying, these are Jesus' words. These are his ideas. I'm speaking on behalf of the king. There's an authority there. Paul, the apostle, is not a man 
who is like that rowboat adrift in the sea. Jesus' word, the scriptures, was the compass, the anchor, the solid ground in his life. So I don't think Paul was as, as exhausted and as confused as we are a lot of times. So what does this have to do with RUF? Well, what it means for us is that this is a community of people. By the way, have you noticed it always changes? It's a revolving door. People graduate, people come in. So it's not like we've been here for 50 years and it's like, welcome to our group. You're a part of the group because you're here tonight. But RUF is a place where we'll tell you right up front. We'll put our cards on the table. We believe the Bible. And because we're filled with a bunch of different individuals, we're, we're a long spectrum where people are at some way along the line of, I don't believe the Bible or I do believe the Bible, absolutely. Somewhere along the line there, you'll find every kind of person represented in this room. But as, but as a ministry, why would you come here if every night I start by saying, hey guys, this is what I feel like. This is what I think. It might be insightful, it might be helpful to you, but you walk out the door and you're like, well, that's just what Ben thinks. So we're a place that actually believes there's an answer to the question, can I trust anybody? Will anybody tell me in an understandable way what my life's about? Why life hurts so bad? Why bad and evil things happen? Why great and beautiful things happen? Will anyone tell me what God is like or am I left to just make it up, figure it up on my own? We believe the Bible does that. Now, here's a, a big thing, because this is where people disagree. What's the Bible about? What's the Bible about? Some people will be like, well, the Bible's about being a good person. It's about learning and memorizing verses so you can inspire yourself into action. The Bible's about how you be moral and get your way to God. No, the Bible's not about that. Nor is the Bible about how to get out of going to hell and go to heaven. The Bible is this. The Bible is this. It is God leaning down to your level in a way that you can understand using words that make sense to you. And he's saying, this is the way the world is. This is why you are the way you are. This is exactly what I am like. This is me in action, in motion, so you can see me, so you can begin to predict what I'm like, so you can know me. And he's saying, hey, this is the true interpretation of reality. I, I'm over reality. I made reality. This is what's really happening in the world around you, and this is what's happening inside of you. That's what the Bible is. Take it or leave it, reject it or accept it. That's what it claims to be. Not this little like religious book over here that's for a tiny little religious piece of your life. The Bible says this is the accurate, authoritative interpretation of reality. Everything. That's actually very hopeful and very promising and very attractive to seasick people who spend their lives dizzy on the ocean just begging for a compass. How do I get home? Begging for solid ground beneath you. I'm sinking, I'm sinking, I'm sinking. Begging for an anchor. Is there anything I can grab onto that doesn't slip out of my fingers? So when we say we're about the Bible, that's what we mean. The last thing I'll say about this and we're going to push on is this. Did you just hear what I said as a conversation stopper or an invitation to a, converse, a, a deeper conversation about this? You could have heard it as a conversation ender. Like, well, that guy just dropped the mic. He said, we believe the Bible. That's the way it is. And he moved on. Or you could hear it in another way. Here's the difference. The more confident you are in something, the less defensive you are about it. 
right? Take body image, for example, or athletic ability or something like that. Um, body image. If you're, whether you're pretty or not pretty, in shape, not shape, whatever, if you are confident in whatever way you look, you're a lot more okay with people playfully poking fun at you, right? You're a lot more okay at people looking at you, right? I bet it's not as big a deal to get up in front of people. But if you're insecure, if you're not confident, if you're scared about your body image, the smallest little thing can break you. Two, a, a set of eyes turn and look at you and you just feel undone. You see someone prettier, you're just undone. Or athletic ability, like if you're, not, if you're not all caught up in that, if you're confident in that, you don't really care when people give you a hard time because you missed the basket. You're like, yeah, whatever. Hear what I just said to you about the Bible from that kind of confidence. Um, you, can, you get to come to RUF with all your questions, with all your doubts, with all your suspicions, with all your unbelief, with all your confusion, all your ignorance. No one's going to look at you weird or be like, whoa, they don't believe that? They just ask that? You get to believe that. You get to bring that stuff in with you. Nobody searches you at the door. You can't bring that in. You get to bring it. Why? Not be- We're not scared. I'm not scared. No one's going to force anything down your throat. We get to talk. We get to ask questions. We get to answer each other's questions. We get to go back to the Bible and say, what, is, what does the Bible say about this? Let's push on to that second point. I said we're about the Bible. We're about the gospel. Now, some of you know what that word means. Some of you don't, and some of you have been hearing it your whole life and don't know what it means. That was me when I was in college. Um, what's, the, what's the gospel? What does it mean that we're about the Bible? It means we're about what the Bible's about, which is uh, God breaking in to a broken world to fix everything. That's the good news. Yes, it includes sparing us from what our own actions and decisions and desires have warranted. But it's so much more than that. God cares about the trees. He cares about the environment. He cares about your broken family. He cares about poverty. He cares about disease. He's making everything new. That's what the gospel, which means good news. Like you heard the good news, the test got pushed back a week. You heard the good news, my roommate's moving out. (laughs) Gospel's a Greek word that just means good news. It's the news report. It's the news flash. It's the ticker at the bottom of the screen. Can you believe it? The God who's not broken, who's not evil, who's not bad, who's not dirty, who's not shamed, broken to a dirty, bad, broken, shameful world full of regret, full of people like us trying to figure out our way along. Let me give you a little scenario here. Imagine tonight at three in the morning, you wake up. You wake up to a sound. The sound that you hear is glass breaking. And you're wiping the sleep out of your eyes. Your heart is beating and you look up and you're out of it. So you just like see this silhouette of a really big guy and he's got an ax. I'm I'm sorry. Some of you girls aren't going to sleep tonight. (laughs) We'll work through this together. Uh, We'll do some counseling after this. But that's what you see. You have two conclusions to make really fast. The first conclusion is this. This guy's here to kill me. He has an axe. It's like your worst nightmare. Or 
this guy's here to rescue me. And it all depends on whether you understand the context. It's entirely conceivable that your apartment building is on fire and you're a few units down from where it is so you don't know. And a guy busts through your window with an axe, scrapes you out of bed with an aggressive wrenching pull and runs you out. And it's entirely possible you wouldn't even really know what's going on until about the time you get down the stairs at the parking lot. Oh, he's not trying to kill me. He's saving me. (laughs) You can tell why somebody is in front of you. You can tell why somebody came by what they're carrying in their hands. It tells you a little bit about why they're there. Here's my question to you. What was God, through Jesus, carrying in his hands when he came to earth, as it were? What was he carrying? What did he have in each hand? Paul says in in verse uh, 2 or 3, grace and peace. When this God who is not broken breaks into a world that is broken, invades and breaks into people who are broken, what does he have? It's like you see him coming at you with an axe, and you're like, a lot of you are afraid of God. You've been going to church your whole life, maybe, and you're still afraid of him because you don't know what he intends to do with you. You see him with this axe, and you think he's after you. You think he's against you. You think he's going to kill you. And you hide. You fight. You hate him. You reject him. You run for him because you think he's after you to take from you. The gospel is that the God who has broken into this world and broken into your life and breaking into some of your lives does have an axe, and it will be a little scary, but he's there to rescue you. That's the gospel. God has come even for you. The Bible says even for the least of these, even for the worst of sinners, this Paul who wrote this letter At the end of his life, not the beginning, but at the end of being a Christian for many decades, at the end of it said, I am the worst of sinners. Not, I've arrived. I've got all this knowledge and maturity and discipleship and everything else. Now I'm at the top of the totem pole. The older Paul got, the more aware he was that he was a spiritual arsonist. The older Paul got, the more mature he got, the more of the Bible he knew, the more he realized, I'm the one who set my own life on fire. Running from God, rebelling against him, pushing him out of my life, ignoring whatever, the decisions I've made, the stuff we did this summer, the shame we carry, the regret we carry from whatever happened two years ago, the pain you feel because your parents are divorcing, the pain you feel because a best friendship broke up. Paul looks at all of that And he said, God broke in to the worst of places. That's where God's breaking in to rescue us and to put us back together. Because when he came to earth, guess what he had in his hands? Grace and peace. Which means, if you see God running after you, he's not running after you to kill you. He's running after you to rescue you. Us being on this campus, these other ministries, these churches in the city of Las Cruces and all over the world, like he says here, all over the globe, this gospel is bearing fruit. When you see a church, when you see a ministry, you should see the living God with a little outpost running after people to rescue them, to bring them to safety, to make them new again. That's why RUF's here. We're here because God was here long before we ever got here. 
We're here because Jesus has been chasing people on this campus to bring them back to life. We're the last guy to the tackle. He's been there a long time. We're just here to be a part of what he's doing. So RUF's about the gospel. We don't want to get sidetracked on all these dumb little debates about whatever, like politics or um, what is, is homeschooling that you went to better or public schooling or private schooling or Christian schooling or charter schooling. Who cares? We're about the gospel. We're about broken people finding life, finding grace, finding mercy, leaving their shame in the past. The last thing is a quick thing because Paul says some stuff here in the, in the end of the verse. He says that this gospel, this good news of God, an unbroken God breaking into a broken world to rescue it from itself. He says that story, that announcement that this has happened in history That story is bearing fruit all over the world. Doesn't matter what culture, doesn't matter what, doesn't matter what religion that culture started in, doesn't matter the country, the ethnicity, the language, or whatever. This gospel, he said, is bearing fruit all over the world, just as it bore fruit amongst you. Where does, where does this renewal happen? Where does renovation happen? Where does transformation happen? Where do you become new? Where does God begin to put Humpty Dumpty back together again? In community with his people. It doesn't happen on your own. Can't. It won't. It happens in community with one another. So that's why we're here too. We're here to be a safe place for the real you to come every week. Rafting down the river, going to a baseball game, going to a small group, hanging out at Denny's after for wherever we are to be a safe place for you to get to be honest about you, to come out of hiding, to say, yeah, I am an arsonist. I am. Are you? Yeah, I have lit my life on fire. Yeah, I have been the cause of a lot of the destruction. A lot of the brokenness is my doing. You get to say that because we believe there's a God who's come for that exact kind of person. If you're at a place that doesn't believe that, you don't get to be honest. You don't get to be real. You don't get to ask questions. Everybody pretends, and it's exhausting. Don't you want something better? Don't you want gospel? Don't you want community? Don't you want to be at a place that helps you believe that God is for you, not against you? That's what we're working to become. We are broken people, but we have a great God, and we're working towards that. Let's pray and sing our last song. Father, we thank you for... uh, We thank you that you're a God who moves. You have feet, you have arms that save. You come and you get us. You don't leave us stuck by ourselves. We thank you for Jesus, who you say in the Bible came. He is the rescuer. He is the fireman. He is the one who at all cost to himself comes to snatch us up and save us and make us good and clean and new and alive again. Let this semester, let this year be a little burst of new life for all of us. Thanks for my friends and them being here tonight. Amen.